Hello and welcome to another episode of S'mores by Fireside. As always, you can learn more about our services for small businesses at meetfireside.com. You can click on the S'mores tab and find all of these episodes in video form. And you can download us from wherever you like to get your podcasts from. Uh, Kelly Ryder Goodwin, very nice to have you on today. Welcome. And for those of you just on the podcast, Kelly is the first one of our guests to have actually positioned herself in a fireside. So thank you very much, Kelly. Yeah, you know, I... I really enjoy fire and camping and fireside. And actually, this is actually part of my daily routine. When I wake up, we actually turn on the fire and our dog and I sit around the fire. So this is actually quite normal for me, except for normally I'm talking to a dog instead of a human. So this is exciting. <laughs> I'm very glad to have brought you out of what sounds perhaps like a little bit of madness and, and given you human contact. That's, uh, that's always you know, quite I mean, maybe it's madness to the outside observer, but it doesn't feel like madness. But maybe that's the definition of madness, right? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I think you might be defining it as you go. Let's, uh, let's see how the next half hour is. Kelly, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? I'd love to. So my main business and really what my career is, is I'm an attorney and I own a law firm where we exclusively practice family law. The firm is Ryder Goodwin Law Offices. We are based in Denver, Colorado, and we, but we practice all over the state. And we just focus on divorce and child custody cases. We also do protection orders and some other type of family law specifically, but um, that's all we do is just family law. Um, and then also really a compliment the firm is we also uh, own a, a company called Untie the Knot. So Untie the Knot provides assistance and legal advice and services to those individuals who can't pay for full representation. So it's live workshops and online courses to really help individuals get the information, the advice they need so they can effectively represent themselves through the, the legal process in divorce and custody cases. Wow. So I want to come back in a moment to how you got into this, but just on that topic, is that a big problem for a lot of people that are there people not getting divorced, for instance, because they don't have the, the ways and means in order to go through that process currently? Yeah. So there, I first kind of discovered this for lack of a better term, or it became really apparent when I was doing or was a staff attorney at Legal Aid. And Legal Aid is federally and state funded that provides free legal representation for individuals who qualify. There's also some other grant and some funding requirements like victims of domestic violence. And there were so many individuals that were just over the pay threshold or the income threshold, but they don't have 15,000 up to, you know, a lot of money to pay for full representation. So they were going by themselves. And what I was seeing, and certainly I was on the other side, but it was still as though they were making uninformed decisions. They were going to places, trying to get information. And the top two places they were going to is the internet, mm. which there is nothing in Colorado or on the internet that's Colorado specific, or they were going to their support circle, right? Their, their coworker, their neighbor, their best friend, and getting basically table napkin advice from someone who's not a lawyer and they're making, like I said, bad choices and that hasn't left. And we're seeing that even more so now with kind of this, the world we're living in right now where individuals are 
either losing their jobs or their pay is getting cut or what have you, that they can't afford full representation, but they have made a decision to get out of their, their relationship is broken down. And so they've made a decision for a better future. And to your question, yeah, people do stay actually married. Like there were statistics in during the financial crisis of 08 and 09 that it was too expensive for people to get divorced. So they suffered through it. And then there was a slight uptake in 11 and 12 because people had sort of gotten back on their feet. So yeah, I mean, the reality of not being able to get a divorce because they feel like they can't do it is very present. Wow. I mean, that's terrible. Um, More terrible because it's affecting the kids. Right. Which then affects all of us, right? Not to be cliche, but the kids are our future, right? And so their home life directly impacts how they grow up and the decisions and the people they become. Yeah, it's it's a pretty significant, not to be a big Debbie Downer in the morning, but it's a pretty significant reality. Yeah, I was doing some work with CASA, for those of you who don't know, is court-appointed special advocates. And they help put adults in touch with children going through the court system, as Kelly, obviously, you know this. And one of the things I learned through that is the scoring system, where they can directly attribute a numerical value to the impact on a child's life. And, and there's a lot of evidence about how that tracks through for the, for the future. So was this situation where people can't do this themselves? Was that the impetus for Untie the Knot? Yes and no. A lot of it was there's always going to be a need for full representation, particularly in high conflict and and emergency situations. At the same time, I didn't think it was all or nothing. I don't think that it does anybody a service for us to disregard a huge amount of the population because the decisions they're making in the court process affect their kids. Mm. And that can even be the case is dragging out longer than unnecessary because they don't understand the process. So it could be like that micro or the big macro could be that they are making decisions about their kids that they don't understand that they can't change later, or it's really expensive just to try to change it. And then there's no guarantee. And so it really was like, how do we help these individuals? But then how do we help the judicial process? And how do we also help our communities so that everything is just, more informed and more effective and really that kind of family focused approach. Wow. Why family law for you? (laughs) The true story is I fell into it. I graduated law school in 09 and there were no jobs, right? Because that was the height of it. It was very much affecting legal as well, that the legal community. And I always wanted to, I loved the courtroom. I always wanted to be a litigator. My father was a litigator. And nobody ever talks about family law in law school. It was, and I think it still has kind of like a dirty, it's almost like we're akin to quote ambulance chasers. Like they think we want people to get divorced, which is actually not the case. Mm. Divorce is awful. I don't actually want anyone to get a divorce, but when a relationship breaks down, people deserve a better future. And, and I, in my office can help them get that. But so I started volunteering actually at legal aid just to really stay in the legal market and community and help people as much as I could while I was looking for a job. And they got some more federal funding and they took a chance on me. And it was very much baptism by fire. And I loved it because it married the courtroom with this client counseling piece that I really enjoy. Again, it was talked and still is pretty negatively about. So like I, it wasn't even on my radar. 
why why is it talked so negatively at law school? I mean, I get the kind of theory of people think it's ambulance chasing, having been divorced. I certainly don't feel that way about divorce attorneys. In my life at the time, it was almost like the fifth emergency service. It surprises me that people look at it that way, I guess. I could see it, I suppose, more some of the kind of sleazier TV advertising personal injury attorneys, perhaps, and maybe I'm being very unfair to personal injury attorneys in general, but there's certainly some sleazy ones on TV to to feel judgmental about. Why? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I I think there's always been this kind of hierarchy and this prestige about working at big law firms in Denver. It's like 17th Street firms. I I, I don't know. I couldn't answer that question. I, I almost think it's just kind of like just institutional, right? Like it's just what it is. From my perspective, it should be one of the most revered bars as part of the Bar Association because we're dealing with people's livelihood, their future, their kids, like how they live. I mean, we're touching every single part of somebody's life and it has such significant impacts. And we're counseling people about making decisions about a future that they did not envision. Even when we have people who, um, clients who have prenuptial agreements, they still didn't ever think they needed them, which is so fascinating when you talk to somebody who has a prenup, they really never thought about it. And it's, it's sad. I mean, it is really like asking them to make decisions that they literally never thought about. And that's okay. And they shouldn't have thought about it. Right. Like they, and, and it's tough. Um, I don't know. I don't, that's a great question. I don't know why we get such a bad rap. Would you advise most couples to get a prenup? I think it depends. The point of a prenup is that you want something different to happen than what the law would say would happen, right? I think it depends. Like on a personal note, my husband owns a lot of real estate properties and he did before we got married and he does now. And I said to him, I said, hey, do you want a prenup? I know how this all shakes out. <laughs> like, do you? And I was practicing like law at the time, obviously, but, and he was like, no, you know, I think it's a really individual choice. People enter prenups for all sorts of reasons. And I probably talk, I don't want to say talk people out of it, but I talk to them about what the law says. Then I ask them what they want. And typically what they want is what the law says. What's also interesting too, at least in Colorado, is you can also do marital agreements. So you can almost do post-nuptial agreements as well. So if something changes, you can do that. I would advise that you talk to counsel about it. What I love to see, but it doesn't really have a lot of enforceability, but I would love it, is that couples talk now when they still love each other about, heaven forbid, they separate, what do they want to do about their kids? I would love that conversation on a positive note versus when they're adversarial and they kind of, and the emotions cloud their judgment. That would be a really great conversation just to have the conversation. They don't have to stick to it, but just like, Hey, this is what was our intention when we loved, loved, I mean, they always love each other, but when we liked each other, but right. Right. Big difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. See if they concede some sort of grounds of reasonableness. Right. Because we know most decisions that are made from an emotional place are not good decisions. And there's a lot of regret in those decisions. So it is trying to separate the emotions from a very emotional process so you can make the best decisions possible with the, the most amount of information. Right. Okay. So let's talk about your business for a moment. It just turned five years old. It did. Congratulations. Thank you. 
what does a family law firm office look like? Like who needs to be in the team and, and what are they doing? The really fun thing about the law is that, and even just the practice of the law and owning a law firm is that there's so much flexibility and I guess you could say discretion and you can really build what you want to build. We, my approach is that we're attorney heavy because there's so much advice and analysis. So we have a paralegal, it's about, shakes out to about one paralegal for two attorneys and the paralegal helps support. And then there is some support staff. And that's how we practice. There's some family law firms that are kind of the reverse Mm. where it's paralegal heavy and the attorney kind of comes in kind of at, at the end. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. From my time at Legal Aid, it very much was a lot about client contact. We know that in-person meetings or virtual meetings, right, are better than telephone calls, but telephone calls are better than emails. Emails are better than text, right? And when we're talking to people and advising people about big decisions, it's important to have as much face-to-face contact as possible because of the nonverbal communication and making sure we're all on the same page. That's why we are attorney heavy because we know that there's a lot of advice that comes with that, with the decisions to be made. So that's kind of like how we are, I guess. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So for listeners and viewers, we're recording this probably, what, six weeks into the corona pandemic? Lockdown's been in place in Colorado for just a couple of weeks. Clearly, it's having an impact on on all sorts of businesses. Um, What's it doing to the industry, for want of a better word, of, of divorce? It's doing a couple of things. One, all of us are working from home. So, and I think that's a general statement in every industry. We're all trying to figure out how do we effectively work from home with different distractions, different environment, make, trying to recreate the bubble that's kind of at the office. Like you're kind of, you know, in this kind of silo kind of for lack of a better term. I think people are really trying to navigate that and, you know, reading a lot of stuff about like making sure you keep a routine and, and like you're going to the office. What's interesting is my husband has always worked from home. So me now being at home has changed how he works at home. And there's been some really funny memes about like couples who are now forced to be at home should just make up a coworker so they can blame things like, man, Jimmy really doesn't know how to wash the dishes and stuff like that. Which is really <laughs> funny. But it is thinking about like making sure that when we're talking to our clients, we're in a quiet, confidential space, right? There's like these like logistical things. I'm hopeful that it's actually going to we'll lean on technology more, which will then just actually make us more efficient mm-hmm. as well as cut costs, which will then, I think the trickle down effect is actually will provide a better service to our clients. That's what I'm hoping for. It's really forcing us to make sure our processes are dialed in. I mean, each case is different, but we should still consistently provide the same level of service. And so it really is from my perspective, like how can we be even more efficient? It's interesting as well, because we do litigation that right now the courts are really closed. So a lot of it is still trying to advise our clients without going to court. So we're seeing a lot more settlement discussions, which is great. So I'm curious to see if it actually does make us less litigious because there is no 
default remedy of just running to the courthouse right now because it's not really open. I'm sure the court system would be delighted if we ended up with more <laughs> settlement scenarios, right? Just in the long term as a, uh, as a change in the, in the industry. I've been to observe court a few times for CASA cases and it's, they're, they're overwhelmed. It's astonishing. Yeah, yeah you, we have really close relationships with a lot of judicial officers and around the Denver metro area. And if you ask them, they actually hate providing over family law cases. Uh, they know they're always the most, the least informed person in the room. And they also know that their decisions have the most impact. And they're literally a complete stranger making decisions about people's lives and their kids. And they actually hate it. They take it very seriously because of the impact, but they would really prefer if families make their own decisions about their own families. But sometimes it just doesn't happen and they're there and, and they do a wonderful job and but it's tough on them. I mean, you talk to those judges, they rightfully so get very burnt out, particularly when they do a lot of domestic violence stuff. Like just, I can't even imagine hearing that every single day is it just has to be exhausting. I'll come back to that in a moment, but, it, but there is a difference, isn't there, in the judges in either Denver or in Colorado around family law. Isn't it the case that in Denver or Colorado, some of them are lifers, whereas in a lot of other places, they just do it as a rotation? So, yes. Yeah, so the way that in, in the state of Colorado, all of the judicial districts in the counties are guided by the rules, right? Like whether it be the statute or civil procedure rules or whatever. And then how each county judicial district administers those rules is different. So one of the differences you pointed out is that in Jefferson County, the judges have a mixed packet, meaning they have a little bit of civil, a little bit of criminal, a little bit of domestic, which actually I think is an advantage because they see the big picture and less them get as burnt out. But most counties, they're just in the criminal, they're just in the domestic, or they're just in the civil. And then how they rotate is also different, which is why in my office, we really do try for our attorneys to be almost county specific. And the reason why is because each county has their own nuances and you get to those judges and those clerks and it just helps the client. So you talked about the judges getting burnt out. How do you manage that given you have so many individuals who are coming to you with such traumatic or frightening or, or just sad cases? How, how do you distance that? What you're referring to, it has two names. It's either vicarious trauma or secondary trauma. And that's typically when you see like first responders, right? So whether that be law enforcement, victim advocates, you can see it in the medical profession where they are directly talking to the individual, typically the victim of a crime, or talking about somebody who, talking to somebody that is experiences traumatic event, right? So you can see it with therapists too, particularly if like a, a classic example is somebody that's coming back uh, who's been deployed, right? And is talking about what they saw over there, right? That's another example. And you know, what has worked for me is, is two things, one of which I know that the mental health community, including my mother, probably will not appreciate me saying this, but it's the truth. Like, so the first one is boundaries. And that's, some, of, some of that is like pretty simple stuff about not trying to work on the weekends. Don't talk to clients on the weekend. Don't always be on. You have some law firms that are like, particularly family law firms, like always available, like even on the weekends. And, and there's a lot of problems with that. One, it creates an unrealistic expectation that something can get done over the weekends, which in reality, it can't. 
right, from a legal perspective. The other is that it doesn't give the professional a break. We're at our best when we are su- when we are focused, our brain is on, and we're not tired and overworked, right? And if you're constantly on, you're really doing a disservice to your client. So one of them is boundaries. Like with my office, I, I'm very much about clients not having cell phone numbers, very much about delay delivering emails. Even if you're working at night, you don't want the client to know that you're always like available, right? The other one is, is the mental health comment is about really compartmentalizing and that goes to boundaries. But like at the end of the day, it's done, right? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to rehash what we had to learn and deal with and all that stuff. My husband really early on, both in my legal career and our relationship, set a really great boundary. And that was that I wouldn't talk about the facts of the case when I came home. And that really was, a lot of it was because at the time I was at Legal Aid and 90% of my caseload was victims of domestic violence, the worst of the worst. And it was really, and still is hard for him and, and most people to hear the facts of domestic violence and not understanding all the complexities and the layers of domestic violence, like why a person would stay, particularly if they have children, and why do they keep going back? And somebody says they love somebody, but then they treat them this way, right? Like domestic violence is, is a fascinating thing. It's, it's still, there's still cases that I'm just like, I can't, I can't believe this. With that being said, there are also cases that you get drawn into. And so I've learned over the years, I know what that feels like. And so I have to kind of pull myself back because the moment that I'm too personally connected to a case, you're no good to your client anymore. They're hiring you for your objective advice. The moment that I'm too personal or like quote in bed with my client and believing everything and not looking at it from 30,000, they should fire me because I'm not providing the advice that they deserve and that they really need to make these big decisions because my judgment's now clouded. It's tough though. I mean, I can tell you there's one case that still sticks with me and a lot of it is, the facts are awful, but a lot of it too is she and I have the exact same birthday. Mm. And it's like, what if we had switched? And, and so there are things like that that like you'll just never forget. And then there's other things that you'll see a name and you're like, I don't remember anything about that case, right? I think they both have their advantages and they both have their disadvantages, right? Cases like that remind me why I do it. And it's tough to live knowing the facts and knowing what I know. But it also is a really amazing reminder about getting kids out of really unsafe environments and getting my client, I mean, she now has this amazing life. And I don't know if that would have been possible if she didn't have a lawyer. It comes with some pretty crappy stuff, but it also kind of like, it's worth it in the end, right? Right, you focus on the reward and you focus on the fact that you're making a positive difference to what is a shitty situation that you're not the one that created, let's face it. You're just there to help them get out of it. I can see how that would, I can see how that would work. A lot of our audience loves good kind of practical advice. You mentioned there about sending delayed emails. Is that, what do you do? Just save them in draft and hit send in the morning? Or do you use something that you set a time for delivery later on or the next day? Yeah. (laughs) My staff gives me a really hard time about delay delivery, but, um, yeah, so if you download Outlook onto your system, right, you have a local copy, you don't do it to the cloud, you can 
set any date and time in the future that you want to send it out. And so whenever you're connected to the interwebs, then it just gets sent out. So I typically do that. If I'm working at night, then I'll send it out in the morning. Right? That's a really um, good idea. Right, because back to your point of, I think people have started to feel like everybody should be reachable all the time. I get Slack messages mm -hmm. from people, and then three, four minutes later, I get another Slack message from them saying, why haven't you replied? It's like, well, I, I have a life. Even during working hours, I'm allowed to go to the bathroom. I'm allowed to make a coffee. I'm allowed to choose not to reply to you this very second. So I get all my stuff. All, I mean, we could, I could talk about this all the time, but so there's a really amazing book called The One Thing, and, and it really talks, there's a lot of great lessons out of that. And one of the great lessons out of it is certainly about time blocking, and time blocking really has to do with the lack of interruption. So there's so much science about an interruption, getting back to where you were can take up to 15 to 30 minutes, right? So not just do you, you've stopped what you're doing to handle the interruption, even if it's literally a three-minute interruption, but now you've lost 15 to 30 minutes to get back to where you were, right? So it's so counterproductive. It's so unproductive. And so that kind of goes back to your Slack messages. It's, it's about like turning off the distractions. Mm -hmm. And I was just talking to one of my staff members yesterday about this, like about the challenges of working from home and how do we recreate the lack of distractions that are at the office at our house, right? And so it is about really getting in the zone and she's got an eight-year-old and teaching the eight-year-old there really are no emergencies. And that's true in law. That was one of my father's first lessons he taught me. There's really no emergencies. And we've talked to our clients about this. We're not first responders. If there's a true emergency, call the police. Mm -hmm. But it's true in the law. Like, there's really no true emergencies. And that's really because it takes us so long to address an emergency. It takes us at least 24, most of the time 48 hours from a legal perspective, right? So all those interruptions are actually doing a disservice to whoever like you're working on. I think a little bit too, it's like, you know, there's so much where like right now, like I have my computer, my phone, you know, there's like all these electronics that are constantly just messages before the pandemic. I heard from, I think as our fractional marketing director, an average person gets 20,000 messages a day. Right. And, and you're just constantly bombarded. And so when people don't get that immediate reaction, I think they kind of freak out. But it yeah. is about training people, right? Like it's, and I have to train my staff and I train myself like, hey, I'm just sending you this message that's out of my brain. I have no, no intention of you to respond to this till tomorrow. Right. It's hard to go back and break the habits. We don't have that real mm -hmm. office door really anymore, right? That people used to be able to close and say, hold my calls right? And then you would have your time to do your work. Now, we can create it. We can, if you are working from home, if you have at least somewhere quiet, right? There are notifications you can turn off on your laptop and on your phone. The best thing I ever did for my productivity was turning off every notification for when an email came in. Because to your point, we get so many emails, whether they be junk or something important, not constantly being drawn away from that, sometimes multiple times a minute, made an enormous, enormous, enormous difference. And I share your view about you don't deal with emergencies. I will often tell my teams, we're not saving babies, right? 
you could go off grid within the marketing slash entrepreneurial world. And chances are 24 hours later, things will still be as they were when you did that. And so we do need all, all to get better. Another kind of tip when I talk to my staff and I'm like, just turn, like close your email, right? Not just turn off the notification, just close it. And, and my staff will be like, but I need to be in my email because then they look at it a lot and I'm like, then turn off send receipts. You can still, you can be offline in your email and you can even hit on send receive, you can hit send all, right? So you could still send out emails, but you're not getting any in. And that's, you know, that's another just practical way about, you got to be in your email, I get that because of the communication and there's stuff in there, right? But that doesn't mean that you have to still get the emails to distract you. Right. That's a really good tip. I'd never thought about that one. mm -hmm. I did that the other day because we talked a little bit at the beginning about untie the knot. And, and this is true for everybody, right? Like when we get in our zone of genius, genius, that's what my business coach calls it. And you get like in flow and all that stuff. You really don't want any distractions. And so working on untie the knot and content and really developing really great materials for our participants, our attendees is really important. Right. And I can't have any distractions because I'm, taking like all of the crap out of my brain onto the paper, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of like just shutting down. And and I have to tell my husband that like, he's pretty good at not distracting, but like sometimes he needs a break too. And it's like, we need to kind of sync up our breaks. <laughs> right. I mean, that's true. When, uh, when my wife and I work at home, the sound of my breathing can be rather distracting. So we have, we have to do the same thing. You know, you've got to find ways to fit around each other. So you mentioned your business coach. This is the topic I really wanted to, uh, to dig in with you to end here. You make great use of having a business coach and also being a member of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Why do you do that? How did you get into that? What do you think you get out of it? And, and how do you recommend people that go about uh, trying something like that? When I had made the decision in, in 2014, and it was a long process to make the decision to leave legal aid and open my own firm, I was very present that I know how to practice law. I don't know how to run a business. And I really sought before I left legal aid, I sought counsel from just trying to figure out what to do. And, and there was a coaching program. I'm not involved in that coaching program anymore that was geared and still is, it's still around, geared towards just for lawyers. And that was like my first experience to that. I played sports in high school and dance in high school and college. And so I understand the concept of a coach, but it was interesting. And I still get a lot of questions about why do you have a business coach? And so, and it's just like a a professional athlete has a business coach. It really is about that high level view that, you know, through the forest view that can help you make and make good decisions and refine your behavior. That's what the coach does, right? Um, They give you, perspective. I mean, so I started with that coaching program and also like coaching, every coach is different, right? From a a sports, you know, some coaches are tough love. Some coaches are about like disappointment. Some coaches are, you know, motivational, like whatever. Right. And this professional spirit fear is the same way. My business coach. So I've been with her. It will actually be, it was just four years. And I can show you, you know, from a numbers perspective, how much we've grown and the growth we've seen, but also the mindset perspective. And that's really where it's an area of growth 
for me is that I have a very active internal critic and she's really great about pulling it back in and perspectives and reminding me of goals and why and how and purpose and all that stuff. At the same time, looking at things in different perspectives. EO is wonderful and a complementary to that because EO is all business owners. And there are things about owning a business that you can't talk to with your team or your spouse. And my husband owns his own businesses, right? But there's things that you just can't do. And so it's this safe and supportive environment where you talk about things that and really peel back the onion about things that you may not be able to talk about with other people. So there really are a complimentary thing. There's some really great things in EO2 just from a tactical standpoint and same with my business coach. But again, it goes back to the sports event. I mean, professional athletes have a bajillion coaches, right? Even LeBron James, who's like amazing, has several coaches. And, and that's because he knows that he always needs more help to always get better, right? My business coach always talks about progress, not perfection, which is a really great quote about it's never going to be perfect. We shouldn't strive to be perfect, but things can always improve and get better, right? Your first draft is better than no draft and your second draft is better than your first, right? So it's just kind of all of that stuff. I've, I've met your coach. We'll share a link to her, uh, to her business after this in the, uh, in the bio of Vanessa Shaw. If you're saying Vanessa really is there in a large part because you are yourself such a strong self-internal critic, I can't imagine anyone better than Vanessa to help you overcome that. I don't think I've met anybody who is more of a, a champion of the people she works with than, than her. Well, and that was my first coaching experience. I am not, and, and this was true when I played sports and dance and stuff, I'm not motivated by negativity or fear. Like That does not work for me. And the reason why I left that other coaching program was because it was so negative. It literally, like literally there was a discussion about if you don't do X, then your daughter will become a stripper. I was like, Whoa, talk about slippery slope. Right. And it operated from that fear basis. And I am very much fear is a paralyzing thing for me. Right. It really is. I have to visualize like a bubble and I have to, just to break the bubble, I have to take a step. Right. Like, cause it, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Right. So that message was not resonating for me. And it was a very toxic place for me. And I got introduced and turned on to Vanessa. And and I will, this has been the case for the last four years. And it has even so much more showed up through this crisis we're having. She really gives a shit. And you know, she really, she's not a cusser either, but you know, she gives a shit. Like she'll drop the F-bomb with me sometimes. But like yesterday, she like really kicked my ass. She was like, we're not like, what's happening with you? And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's what you need, right? And sometimes it's the same message, but hearing it in different ways and from different people can resonate, right? Like sometimes my husband gets so irritated. He was, I was like, yeah, let me just tell you what Vanessa and I talked about. He's like, I've been telling you that for three months. And I was like, just relax. Right. That's funny. Um, that's like, uh, that's like kids at school. We'll give our kids so much advice and then they'll ignore it all. And the second their favorite teacher says it to them, it's like the sun is shining out of their, uh, their rear end. It's, uh, <laughs> I can imagine that frustration. We're about at time here, Kelly. So we're going to wrap up. This has been an absolute pleasure. Will you tell our audience again where they can find your legal firm and untie the knot? Sure. And thank you for this. This has been super fun. I really appreciate that. 
Well, I appreciate you, uh, you putting up with the, clearly the Zoom issues that have been going on during this pandemic. It's, uh, Zoom did announce this morning before we recorded they were having some issues. So we've got through it, I think, with the best sound we could manage. Yeah, uh, and hopefully my fire was a really nice... The fireplace in the background was a lovely person. touch. I'll have to send you a pack of smalls for it. <laughs> I, man, I was a Girl Scout, and that just reminds me of my childhood. But So to your question... Yeah, so the firm is Ryder Goodwin Losses, so Ryder with an I. So R-I-D-E-R-G-O-O-D-W-I-N-L-A-W. And then the other business that we talked about is called Untie the Knot, exactly how it sounds. It's actually untiethenotco for colorado.com. So yeah, so those are the two things. And I know you're going to put some other links in, in the show notes and all that cool stuff. But. That's right. Kelly, it's been an absolute pleasure as always for our audience. Don't forget, you can always learn more about Fireside and the marketing services we provide for small businesses at meetfireside.com. Click on the s'mores link to watch all of these episodes in video form. And you can always find this in podcast form wherever you like to get your podcasts. Thank you very much.